Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. We're here with episode 11 today and we're actually recording from a very, very sunny Dubai. So you're going to have some good vibes from me. I've had plenty of time in the sunshine, so I'm looking forward to recording today. And part of what I love about this podcast and some of the questions that it brings is sometimes I go through questions that are literally on my top five of asked questions. So I remember going through why my weight fluctuates and that was definitely number one. And I think the first question I'm going to go through today is probably number two on that list. So without further ado, we'll get straight into it and we'll get going with a nutrition question. So the first one is this, how do I handle hunger and cravings? Very, very good question. And the first thing that we'll need to do here is if you are on a fat loss, a weight loss journey, or you're just trying to improve you know, your health and well-being, maybe just shed a few pounds, you're going to have to accept that at some point on this journey, you will feel hunger and you will have cravings. And I think acceptance is a really, really important part because when we accept something, we can actually tolerate it a lot better. I mean, let's just give the example of bad news. If someone says, I've got bad news for you, you know, you mentally brace yourself. You kind of anticipate what's to come. Whereas when someone just drops the bad news on you, it's just like, ah, you know, now I have to deal with it. You get the reaction and all of that type of stuff. So you get the ability to physically and mentally brace yourself. But if you accept that this will come as part of the journey, and I actually do think that there was a study done on this. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure there was maybe a group of someone within Weight Watchers or a similar weight management group like that when they said that at some point in this journey, you are going to experience some form of challenge in the form of hunger in the form of cravings and obviously the people that they told were much more successful in their weight loss pursuits and not just in the short term but also in the long term as well which I think is super super important to recognize first things first and the second thing we need to identify is whether it's actually hunger 
or if it's a craving because these two things are completely different yet sometimes they are treated as the same thing so the best way i can describe this is hunger tends to be physical signs from the body you know the rumbling stomach the empty feeling you have and kind of wanting to eat more or less anything and usually obviously it comes from a period of not eating for a while whereas a craving on the other hand for me this is when you want something specific you know maybe it's sweet maybe it's salty maybe it's <laughs> chocolate cake who knows and this can even come immediately after a meal right and at any time during the day so it's kind of more of a specific need slash want versus a hunger where you're just like okay you know the, the saying goes i'm so hungry i'll eat a horse right it's you know it's definitely different from a, a craving here and it's really important to identify what one it is because of physical hunger and just actual hunger itself might be easy to handle it could be just you know oh maybe i need to have the meal that i was planning to have anyway at this point you know it might be the fact you just pushed your meal back later or it could be a sign that your meals aren't necessarily keeping you satiated and both of which we can quite easily address whereas cravings on the other hand they will need to be handled in a slightly different way and we'll go into those in just a minute so the next thing we need to do is actually acknowledge whether we need to address them or not and I think that there's a little bit of um I don't actually say that this is kind of a conditioned thing but it is to a degree and it's something that we all know is that a lot of us when we have hunger the natural thing is to then feed ourselves and I completely understand that that's quite usually quite a good thing to do and the body gives you feedback and it's usually good to take it on board but that's not always the case because then, and what I want to bring here is quite a realistic example to make this you know make sure you understand this more especially if you're someone who has you know kind of filled that need of hunger anytime it's come in and you know if you're tired during the middle of the day and you're at work it doesn't mean you just go home from, from work and just go to sleep right and the same goes for like maybe you're frustrated or you're angry or you're annoyed at work it doesn't mean you just walk out or go home or throw a stapler at the other person right so if you're hungry as well it doesn't always mean you need to eat and especially if you've got your meals prepared and you are you know you've already like lined up your macros and targets for a day and you know you have your set meals in place that's a certain sign that if you are getting hunger, yes, we can address it. Yes, we can look at why it's happened, but it doesn't need necessarily mean that you need to action on it, right? So the second thing now with what I want to look at is the craving side of things because it's slightly different here. And what I would do with cravings is I would actually become, you know, a little more curious about them, a little bit more inquisitive about them, like find out why they're happening and, you know, look at when they're happening. As a lot of the time, like especially with um, cravings, especially this afternoon, noon um you know the afternoon lull where you either go and get a coffee or something sweet it's actually just a case of undoing previous habits so we all know the people and you probably you could be one of them right so you know no matter what it comes around to that mid-afternoon time that 3 4 p.m even if you've had a huge lunch and you want something right and that is just a you know pre-existing habit that you might need to address and just rewire we discussed habits and feedback loops in previous podcast episodes and this one could be very much that but also when it comes to being inquisitive as well like for me if i'm i have meals that are pretty much set in place from monday to friday so if i'm finding that i'm getting cravings more so than often maybe sometimes a little bit of hunger then i'm gonna be like okay why does that happen and i'm like okay am i am i hydrated do i need to drink a little bit more water that's usually my first go-to and then the second one is okay how did i sleep last night okay did i train really hard am i like kind of under recovered and once you become a little bit more curious about the, why these are happening and this is why it's really good to have consistent meal times because you pick up on when you know strange times of 
wanting to eat or wanting to eat specific things comes in, you can start to look at why it's caused. And then obviously, if you address the root cause, then you are a lot better off in terms of not having those so frequently as well. So now that we've gone through identifying them, now we've got to a point of accepting them. What I want to do now, and probably the part you're waiting for, is the strategies that are going to help you when you do get hunger and cravings. Because like we said, a natural part of the dieting and fat loss process. So I'm going to go through my top five. And number one, this is undoubtedly my best tip I can give you. Uh, actually, it's, it's up there for sure. But it's food volume. Our bodies don't always need more calories. Sometimes it literally is just a case of having more on your plate. And salad and veg are absolute key to this. Like I always mention, you might have heard me say it in videos, I say it to my clients all the time, that I tend to eat about a kilo at least or more a day of salad and veg when I'm dieting. Like all the time and it's such a good way to keep me full and satiated and another good example is not always just salad and veg you know, like we could look at the difference between you know let's say bananas and berries for instance one banana is going to be about i don't know 23 grams of carbs or something along those lines and maybe 100 calories or so and for 23 grams of carbs, we could easily have about 400 strawberries, 400 grams of strawberries, not 400 strawberries, that might be quite a lot, but that's the same around amount of calories. So you've got one banana versus like an entire pack or punnet of whatever you want to call it of strawberries. So you can quite clearly see the difference in how that's going to fill you up and how, you know, how that's going to go down when it gets to your stomach. Another good example is like egg whites versus whey protein, right? You could cook maybe 200 grams of egg whites and have 200 grams on the plate there, or you have 30 grams of powder. Obviously, it does get mixed with water, but if you drank your egg whites with water, it would be the kind of the same thing. And then we look at something like potatoes and pasta. Like you can get so much more potatoes on your plate versus if you were going to have pasta as well. So volume is absolutely key. Capitalize on salad and veg and look towards the foods that give you more volume for the amount of calories that they offer as well. Next up is going to be utilizing fluids. Like adequate hydration is crucial to staying on point of your diet, as I've just mentioned, as can be a cause for cravings. Um, and, but it can also come back to filling stomach space as well. And that's really, really going to help. I would also look towards coffee, making sure that you are keeping within the curfew and not drinking caffeinated much after 2 p.m. if possible. Decaf is a huge one for me and I always go for tea diet soft drinks potentially like more watery foods as well you've got soups you've got oats you've got bone broth etc and that can be really really powerful next tip i'm going to give you is a form of intermittent fasting right any type of fasting i've covered this in depth before but just to review if you're eating from the moment you wake up until the evening you know you could have an eating window of 14 hours right if you're having let's say 1500 calories and that's in three meals just to keep this nice and square and easy you might have them at like 7 a.m 12 p.m and 7 p.m like that's not unusual and that's about 500 calorie each time but that means you're waiting about five six maybe even seven hours between meals seven hours between meals is quite a long time so now let's say you start your eating window at 11 you know you have your first meal at 11 uh, regardless of the time you wake up in the morning and then you finish at 7 p.m now you're eating that same amount of calories every two to three hours which is naturally going to be a lot easier right 
next strategy and potentially my favorite one actually so this one's very underrated as well but staying busy right we've all had those days where you know we've had so much to do so much on our plate and all of a sudden you know you look at the watch and you're like oh it's late afternoon and you know you've either had nothing at all or you've just had a small breakfast and now you're like oh I need to, now I need to fit like a thousand or so calories into the day so staying busy is probably the most underrated technique but it is super super powerful and what you can do is anytime you like potentially have a trigger any type of craving or you're hungry but it's not time to eat go make yourself busy think of something you can do something you can tick off the to-do list and that should pass enough time until it's you know it's time to maybe have a meal again and the fifth and final one I'm going to give you is to change your environment if you're currently working from home and you're working from the kitchen let's say and those cupboards are very very close which you know have food in them you know maybe it's even foods that aren't potentially on your plan you have a partner who's maybe not on a fat loss phase or a health fitness journey it's going to be really hard to resist those if they're so close especially if we talk about the you know the trigger impulse action that we spoke about last week or the week before i should say so if you can't change your working from home space when you do feel a craving like i'm a big fan of just like getting outside of that place you know just like getting up maybe getting outside for a walk go to like the bathroom or a different area in your house just like kind of recenter yourself sometimes just that, that brief change in space is enough to get you out of it so those are my top five ways of handling hunger and cravings but I think we need to just come back to the fact that they are a natural part of the process and the sooner you can accept it, the easier it will be. So that's question number one. So I hope that you have some actionable strategies that you can take away there that you're going to apply anytime you feel them and you'll make sure that you really tell the difference between whether it is hunger or if it's a craving as well. So this second question, uh, yeah, this is another, you know, quite a common one, probably in the top 10 as well, especially if you're in your first couple of weeks of training or you've returned to training after a long time. This question is, how do I reduce my muscle soreness? also known as DOMS, which you might have heard of before. So we've all been there, right? You get up in the morning, you go to stretch, and it's just like, ah, ow, ouch. You know, our back, our chest and shoulders, you know, we're, we're trying to stretch, but it's just so painful. And, you know, when we, we go to stand up, it's the same. It's like, ah, ah, you know, my legs, my glutes, my hamstrings. And then we go to sit back down again, but it's just as painful, right? I'm sure you can see that image of yourself in your head right now. So welcome to the world of DOMS. And if you didn't already know that, that stands for Delayed Onset of Muscle Soreness, which is usually something that kicks in around 12 to 24 hours after training. Although personally, I have to say that I sometimes feel them kicking and then immediately after training so that's something to note there and if you've ever worried about you know it's like two or three days later and you're still feeling quite sore it can actually last up to 72 hours and once again i'm pretty sure i've experienced doms for a lot longer than that as well but those are the averages kicking in around 12 24 hours later and you know lasting up until 72 hours as well so don't be too alarmed if it lasts a while so this the reason why it is likely to occur after physical exercise is we've put our muscles you know through a lot of stress we've put them under a lot of tension and caused these micro tears uh, to these certain muscle groups and after we've done that you know the job is to for you know recovery to take place you know they need to repair they build stronger and that's kind of how we gain strength and we gain muscle right the severity of doms can really really vary quite a lot 
and you've probably experienced this before, sometimes you're a little bit sore and sometimes you are majorly sore. And it can come down to many, many things, you know, potentially such as the intensity of the workout, how frequently you train, your age, your gender, you know, how well you slept, how well you recover, etc. So there's plenty of things to um, factor in when we're talking about the severity and how painful it's going to be the next day. So something I want to rule out here is a bit of a myth around DOMS, and it's said that they can be an indicator of a good session. You know, you wake up next morning, you're feeling quite sore, and you're like, oh, I must have worked hard. But that isn't always the case, and I definitely wouldn't look at it as an indicator of a good session, because actually sometimes on the flip side, which I'm going to go into in a minute, it could just be a sign of that you're not recovering well enough. But usually as you settle into a new routine, a program, you know, the DOMs slowly start to wear away. And if they don't, there's probably a good chance that you're not actually recovering sufficiently. And, or maybe even that your workouts are potentially too intense, they have too much volume, and essentially you're just doing so much that your body just can't keep up. You know, your recovery capabilities aren't quite there. And the second thing to mention here is that there will be times when you are much more likely to have DOMS, right? The first thing to mention here is that if we focus more on the eccentric phase, when the majority of these tears take place and the majority of the DOMS is going to be coming on board, then you are going to feel it a lot more and you're going to experience it a lot more. So when we're doing movements with tempo, the particularly bias that eccentric phase and for those of you who don't know what the eccentric phase is it's generally the downward phase of any movement and the next is when you're going to be doing a new workout that you aren't accustomed to or you're using certain muscle groups or going in certain movement patterns that you aren't familiar with doing as well the muscle groups just aren't prepared for that level of intensity or volume which is you know then going to cause a fair amount of breakdown to the, that muscle group that area that you're working or that movement pattern and as you then begin to adapt to the new workout the movement pattern you're then eventually going to feel it a little bit less as your body starts to acclimatize and adjust to the intensity or the certain patterns or movement patterns that you're putting it through and then it's a pretty similar concept when you've taken off time for training and you've returned after a long period of time which we've all experienced recently and the final thing I want to touch on in relation to your recovery capabilities is that if you aren't recovering adequately and then you're going into the gym and then expecting yourself to perform at that same high level, then even that same workout that you've not, you know, not quite acclimatized to can actually cause more soreness. Even if you've done it before, just because you haven't allowed yourself to recover from previous sessions, it then can kind of have a little bit of a cascading effect as well. So that should help you understand what that pain is after your workouts is now i'm going to do the same thing that i did just before i'm going to go with five ways to reduce your soreness and you know just make a note that i said reduce and not entirely remove as it's very very unlikely that if you are training with a good degree of intensity very unlikely that you're going to remove it altogether. so number one the first one on the list here is going to be to eat enough protein there is a reason I go on about protein all the time, and it's such an important nutrient for your recovery. Protein plays a huge, huge role in our ability to maintain and build muscle. So if we are looking for recommendations, somewhere between 1.8 and 2.2 grams of protein per kilo of body weight will be absolutely ideal. And if you are someone who's not used to eating protein, just begin by adding 5 grams, 10 grams, 15 or 20 even, and just try and add a little bit more every week until you uh, reach the range that I just mentioned. Next up, big one, sleep. 
The majority of your physical and your psychological restoration, in fact, is done during sleep. And if you're not getting enough sleep or you're not getting good enough quality sleep as well, and that's actually critical and probably debatably even more important, then you're setting yourself up to be more sore and less recovered. We're always looking for those seven to nine hours of quality sleep, and that would be absolutely perfect to aim for that. Third one, you probably expected this one to come as well, hydrate. There has been some studies that correlate dehydration to increase muscle soreness. Apparently, these aren't yet real concrete, but being sufficiently hydrated is always going to be beneficial and is undoubtedly going to aid your recovery and your performance as well. So just cover your bases, make sure that you are staying sufficiently hydrated. Number four is going to be to opt for some light movement and stretching, right? It might seem counterproductive to use a muscle group that's in a lot of pain, but increasing the blood flow to that area is likely going to help, you know, get a good cycle of new blood into that area, get some different um, nutrients into that area as well. And the stretching won't necessarily help recovery per se but it is likely to help you feel a little bit more mobile especially once you've got some blood to those areas they're feeling a little bit more warmer i know that i personally feel a little bit better once i you know stretch a little bit not extreme and i did say light so just bear that in mind you don't want to go crazy with this but it is likely to help and the fifth one i'm going to go through is to potentially try some cold exposure, you know, getting into that ice bath or using some Epsom salts or magnesium flakes, you know, both hot and cold therapy, in fact, are going to be really, really beneficial when it comes to reducing pain, reducing soreness, swelling and inflammation as well. So those are five that you could implement right away and it's going to make a huge difference, especially if you are returning to the gym or training after a very, very long time or if you are new to training, then it's going to be super, super beneficial. And if you do go through all of these and you are still in pain, you're just going to have to suck it up and get on with it, I'm afraid. <laughs> and you just got to make sure that you work through it and it will soon enough wear away as your body becomes acclimatized to the training you're doing. So that is the second question wrapped up. And we're on to the third, which as always is a mindset question. And this is a very, very interesting one. And there's an aspect in this question that I'm going to cover that doesn't get touched on enough and potentially in something you might have not heard before. So stay tuned. And the question is this. I haven't reached my goals yet. I'm not fired up to keep going, but I'm also not content with where I am. What can I do? And this actually happens more often than you expect. And I feel the best place to start here is to look at why you got started in the first place, right? And if we look at the reasons why most people get started, and I take a lot of you know, new people on board, I have a lot of calls of people initially, and it's probably, you know, and it usually comes down to a, it came from a place of pain, right? A holiday where potentially the person felt uncomfortable, a time when they saw themselves in a photo or in the mirror and they just wasn't happy with what they saw, or, you know, a comment from a colleague or a family member or something like that. And this isn't the reason they got started, but this is usually the tipping point. And beneath that tipping point, beneath that, that you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, to, so to speak, there's usually months and years of these thoughts, these comments. And then, you know, there's a cascaded impact that you know, then has in their mindset where potentially they look at themselves in a different way. It impacts their self-confidence and all that type of stuff. And then they get brought to this tipping point, which is usually when I will, you know, initially get a message from someone to reach out to start their journey. 
So what we've got to recognize here is motivation is super high because the pain of staying where they are at that point is worse than the pain of change because the change is painful and it probably puts people off doing it until that point where actually where they are is a lot more painful. So if we look at this example, the desire and the urgency to make these positive changes is very, very strong, right? And let's look at someone who, let's say they wanna drop 20 kilos or so. They drop 10 to 20 kilos, which is a very, a sorry, a 10 to 12 kilos, which is a very impressive amount. All of a sudden, they are more comfortable in their clothes, people are complimenting them, they're feeling themselves a little bit more, and it's not usually too long before these comments begin to stick and they feel nice, you know, and the person starts to get quite, you know, a little bit of a, a groove back into them. But then the problem is, is the complacency can then begin to slip in. My, you know, I've had this before, the check-ins get a little bit lax, you know, potentially tracking isn't as tight, you know, they're not really tracking their macros, foods goes over a little bit of a place, they start accepting more meals out, and then eventually progress begins stalling. And if at this point, right, and I did say that this person has got to a point where they're feeling themselves, they're feeling good, if at this point someone realizes that they are truly, and I really want to repeat the word, truly content with where they are, and that's totally fine by me. And we just need to come to a point of acceptance so we no longer have them in a deficit, but we get them to a stage of maintenance. But quite often, a lot of people spin their wheels in that area because they don't quite want to accept their reality and they're kind of, you know, you know, not going in either direction with commitment and end up again, just like I said, spinning their wheels and going round and round in cycles. However, what we find is that most aren't truly content. The stage they find themselves in is that what was driving them so, so strongly before, it's not as raw, it's not as present. And it's, you know, it gets really hard to get them going again because A, they've eased their foot off the cast and B, they're no longer fired up by the reasons they got in shape in the first place. And the reason that this is a really big challenge, especially for myself as a coach, and, you know, I try to pre-warn people about this quite a lot, is because, you know, dropping that 10 to 12 kilos is amazing. It's fantastic and shouldn't be overlooked but it's actually not really that far away from where they started, right? Let's say they go on holiday, they have a couple of off-track weeks, they accept the socials that they potentially weren't accepting during their fat loss phase, and then all of a sudden they're just nine kilos lighter, they're eight kilos lighter, and it is quite a slippery slope, and the further they get away from their goals, the harder it is to just kind of summon that momentum and really the drive to get going again. And the same thing, you know, goes for the time as well, the time they spent getting that weight off. And, you know, getting weight off, you can do this without really, you know, building any good long-term habits or, you know, good behaviors and changing your lifestyle in the long term. However, when it comes to like long-term weight management, which is what most people are actually after, it's crucial that you build these good, solid, long-term habits and you do shift your lifestyle and behaviors to align with this, you know, this new individual that you are at this 15, 20 kilo lighter weight, right? Solid habits need to be built. A shift in behavior needs to take place. And when the journey is just like three or four months, sometimes that's not quite long enough to build uh, what you need to hold on to these results long term as well. So you can probably see why this is a challenge and, and now you can also see how it's come about as well.
And now I want to go through how you can get yourself going again, because I think this is a crucial part. So first things first, I think it's always important to go back to the reason why you got going in the first place and really peel back the layers until you get a deep feeling and connection with you know, the reason you started. Because a lot of people will just give the surface reasons. But when you dig deep, there is always something. And I want to give you an example just for someone who potentially hasn't done this before. You might have heard of this before, but this should help. So I asked the person, why do you want to lose weight? And I'm like, I want to lose weight because I feel overweight. I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. Let's, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. So why? Because I'm embarrassed to take my shirt off on the beach. Okay, why are you embarrassed to take your shirt off on the beach? Because I know I've let myself go over the years and I, I really just don't want people to see me this way. Why don't you want people to see me this way? Because I don't want people to think that I don't have control over my weight and I have bad habits around food and I can't, you know, can't keep in control of that. Okay, why does it matter to you that you don't want people to think that? Because I think they'll, you know, they'll lose respect for me. They might judge me even. Okay, so why, why is that a problem? Why is it a problem if you know, they lose respect for you and judge you? Because when I was younger, I was the overweight kid in school. I was always bullied and made fun of. And it was only when I got to my adult life, I was, only, I was able to gain this respect because of you know, what I did within my career. And I fear like, losing this because of the way I look and my appearance. Ding, 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 right? That's the real reason. So you see how we had that surface reason of, you know, I just want to lose weight because I feel overweight doesn't really do much you know that won't get me up in the morning that won't you know be the thing that gets me moving during a really really hard set or get me up at 5 a.m in the morning right so if we peel back the layers you'll always find that there's something lurking there deep beneath and now this is the interesting part because of you might have heard of that practice above before but the real question is is does that really hit home as much as it used to does that thing that you said at the very end does it feel as raw as when you first started and I'm going to use myself as an example here because if mine personally doesn't anymore. When I started, the deep lying reason was because I was, you know, I didn't want to take my shirt off in the school changing rooms because I had, you know, a chubby chest. I had a little bit of stomach fat. It's a true story. I, I, I think I said this before, but I used to go into the toilet cubicles to take off my shirt and change it during our PE classes because I was genuinely didn't want people to, you know, comment on my fat physique, right? But these days, that doesn't resonate with me whatsoever. Like, I feel fully, fully in control my weight I can gain weight when I want to I can lose weight when I want to and even if I did end up in a poor position with my physique I feel like I have the experience and the expertise to get back into a good place so I don't really live with that being a worry anymore and what I've personally found is that my why and the real reason I do this is it's evolved quite a fair bit throughout various different points of my journey so it started because I was self-conscious in those change rooms. And then it evolved into, you know, actually ensuring that I was taken seriously as a personal trainer. You know, I think I was the, probably the youngest and smallest when in my first gym. So, you know, it was really important for me to present myself in a good manner. So that was the second why. And then it evolved into when I started competing, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to actually compete i didn't want to just turn up i wanted to have a spot on that stage that i felt like i deserved when i competed and there's probably a few more that's come in between that but now i find myself in a position where i really really am passionate about holding myself to a high standard so that i can essentially lead by example to the people who trust me and i think this is really important they trust me with looking after their health and well-being 
So I want to show them that I am the person who can do that. And I am the person who's willing to put in the hard yards and the miles and to test myself and to constantly keep growing and moving forward within my own health and wellness journey. So I can essentially be that guy that they think, okay, yeah, no, he takes it seriously. And that's, that's why I do what I do. I get up in the morning, I can resonate with that. And that fires me up. So, you know, when I peel back that layer of holding myself to that high standard, that hits home super, super hard for me as well. So what I want you to take away from that little example there is that your why will evolve and you might not connect with the reason you got started on a journey in the first place. And you must, must be inquisitive about what's important to you when you do hit a dip in the road, you know, because of just sometimes just trying to brush yourself up and get going might not be enough. Like you really need to find what connects with you and embed it into your mind. So maybe it's not about like, you know, the being overweight or you know having the comments from people now it's maybe about like building your long-term health so you can look after your future family maybe it's like using the wins that you get from your training and the control you have over your body to you know help you excel in other areas of life maybe it's not about your appearance anymore but maybe it's about making sure you live long enough to walk your daughter down the aisle and give your grandkids you know you can keep up with them you can play with them and all that type of stuff and whatever it is create a connection with it, create links to it, and 